give you a second to get there. Beginning at verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father, Reuben. You are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers, weapons of violence. Violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob, and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea and he shall become a haven of ships and his brother and his border shall be Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper in the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, but he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there's the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. 
May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Our Father, we come to you, Lord, asking once again to help us in our weakness and in the foolishness of the preaching which is so utterly amazing. Make your glory known because you are so good and so great and so, such a promise-keeping God to help your people. So we look to you, we call upon your name, and we thank you that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you hear us. And so it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, a lot of blessings have come from around the bed of one who, a loved one who is dying, but I don't think there is one better than the one that comes from Jacob in this passage. And once again, we're reminded that God works covenantally in families from generation to generation in the working out of his redemptive purposes. This is really true from cover to cover in God's word. For example, when we read at the beginning of the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 39, when Peter says to his fellow Jews that the promise is to you and your children, to all who are far off, speaking of the believing Gentiles throughout the world and their children, as many as the Lord our God will call. Just as a matter of interest, Abraham had one child to carry on God's covenant promises in Christ Jesus, and that was Isaac. And Isaac also had one child to carry on those same promises, and that was Jacob. But all of Jacob's children were included in the covenant promises because they would together comprise God's chosen nature, uh, nation from which God's Messiah would spring forth. And it's this passing on of the covenant promises that we see Jacob preparing to do in the first couple of verses. It's from his deathbed. He called all his sons together to bless them. They all gathered around his bed, and he blessed them with the assurance that they, through their posterity, would inherit God's promised land. And in addition to blessing them, he also prophesied about their various futures in that land. Now, pause here and think about the significance of that moment in redemptive history when Jacob's sons are each given the assurance of an allotment in Canaan. Joseph, two allotments through Ephraim and Manasseh, along with a prophetic glimpse of how this would play out for each of them in the future in Canaan. And just think about how important these blessings would have been for their descendants to be reminded of when they were in bondage in Egypt. They would not have had the written word yet, but they would have had the inspired prophecy of Jacob concerning them 
passed down to them verbally. That's why this is such an amazingly God-blessed moment around this bed as, as the children of Jacob gather round it. They, through their future families, really are going to inherit the promised land. There, as God's chosen people, they would comprise the visible church, and Canaan would point them to the greater reality of heaven itself, obtained by grace alone, through faith alone, in God's coming Messiah, Jesus Christ alone. And this was true even for the three oldest sons of Jacob and their posterity. They were blessed beyond description to be a vital part of Canaan. You'll remember that Reuben defiled his father's bed, and the Hebrew poetry here points that out. As a result, he lost his preeminence as the firstborn. Also keep in mind that often the weak tendencies of one generation affect the character of the next generation. And Reuben was unstable as water in terms of his passions and his leadership. As a result, not one judge or prophet or king came from the tribe of Reuben. I say that it is often that the weak character tendencies are passed down because it's not an always thing. I'm sure that some of the Reubenites had strong characters. The same is true of Simeon. As you know, he and Levi ruthlessly murdered the men of Shechem because of their treatment of their sister Dinah. As a result, Simeon and Levi's tribes were dispersed throughout Canaan. In God's wisdom, he made Levi the priestly tribe. But every single one of these tribes, even those which were passed over uh, in terms of preeminence, were graciously blessed, and I mean graciously blessed, beyond measure, beyond description, really, to inherit God's promised land. Let's look at some more of them. Verse 13, Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea in Canaan. Look at the specifics of what they're getting long before they get there in terms of geographical allotments. He shall become a haven for ships and his borders shall be at Sidon. The tribe of Zebulun would, would live by the Mediterranean Sea and be merchants. Verse 19, I'm skipping around. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Border raids will be Gad's lot in Canaan, but Gad will prevail. Asher, verse 20, will have very fer a very fertile land in Canaan, and they will become rich by selling their delicacies to kings. Children, I should have had you, when I read chapter 49 of Genesis, count how many animals were in that chapter. It would have been really tough to do, but I think 
you could have done it. It wouldn't have quite filled up Noah's Ark. I'm told that your Sunday school lesson today was on Noah's Ark. Well, there weren't that many animals, but there were a lot. And this afternoon, you might read through chapter 49 with your mom and dad and try to count and see how many that there are. Well, I quickly only want to mention some of those animals that are used here in this poetry to describe some of the tribes that will live in the land of Canaan. Issachar, verse 14, is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Issachar would be a very, very hard worker, and his descendants would be, of course, in this instance as well. In my 10 years as a farrier, I also put shoes on a lot of donkeys. The strength of a donkey to work is incredible, and it can be a fearsome thing to put a shoe on one. <laughs> Issachar would be content to work that hard on the good land allotted to them, and that would be true even if working that land in peace meant paying taxes and performing forced labor for, for, from, for the Canaanites. Dan, verse 16, will be a significant judge of Israel, and he will strike the enemy like a serpent. And so Jacob's prophecies of this tribe, he will judge Israel, and in this capacity, he will be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse, horse's heels so that the rider falls off. That will be Dan. And think of Samson, who was a Danite, who made many a rider fall off his horse. Naphtali then, in verse 21, will be, as, like, uh, be a doe swift in battle. Benjamin, verse 27, will be a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at the evening dividing the spoil. The tribe of Benjamin will be great in war. And as a wolf, Benjamin will kill more than he can eat. And then he will graciously share the spoils with other tribes. And there's one more animal in this chapter. He's the most, most important one of, it all, of all. And I'll mention this animal in a few minutes. Let me just say now that the two most important blessings that Jacob gives are the blessings given to Joseph and Judah. And I have left them until last for a reason. Jacob spends significantly more time to, with these two sons because together they provide a special window for us to look through that allows us to see God's purposes in Jesus Christ all the way from Jacob's family to the end of redemptive history. We will look at Joseph first, beginning at verse 22. 
Matthew Henry really helps out here because he points out that the blessing given to Joseph is largely a blessing that has already been fulfilled. The last part of it certainly refers to Joseph's future blessings of success and fertility in Canaan through Ephraim and Manasseh. But in agreement with Henry, it's largely an historic blessing, and in that way, it is completely unique from the blessings given to to Joseph's other brothers. Jacob proclaims Joseph to be a fruitful branch, in verse 22, by a spring with his branches running or extending over the wall. What does he mean? He he means that this insignificant teenage shepherd boy has become the prime minister of Egypt, second in command only to Pharaoh. And in that post, He has saved his entire family along with everyone else in the ancient Near East who would have otherwise starved to death in that famine. And of course, we learn that this is a picture of the greater reality of Jesus Christ and what he has done to save all of his people spiritually and eternally with the overwhelming riches of the gospel. But think of Joseph and how God used him. And and, and they're looking back at this. They're looking back at the past. And here's what happened. The archers bitterly attacked Joseph. They shot at him and harassed him, harassed him severely. Well, this goes back to his sufferings at the hands of his brothers. And remember, they're all around this bed that uh, Jacob will soon die on. They bitterly attacked him. They bitterly mocked him while they had lunch at the top of the well. They nearly murdered him. And they wound up selling him as a slave to Egyptian traders. This, this, includes Joseph being tempted and harassed by Potiphar's wife day after day after day. Then she shot at him with her false accusations. As a result, Joseph was wrongly accused and thrown into prison. Then he was forgotten by those he had helped especially the cupbearer, when the cupbearer was restored to his royal position. Joseph suffered. He suffered so much. And it was through his suffering that God made him a fruitful branch, overflowing his branches over these walls. In this historic blessing, Jacob poetically describes Joseph's bow as remaining unmoved. That is, it stood firm and steadfast. 
from boyhood. His bow was firm and steadfast. And well into manhood, it, it remains so. And Jacob says his arms stayed agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. Who is that? Who is the mighty one of Jacob? Why, that's the God of Jacob. That's the God we want. That's the God who can do great things. That's the God who has given us the gospel and done great things. The God of Jacob. And then he, he piles up names. The God of Jacob. The mighty one. The shepherd. What a great shepherd he was for Joseph, even from birth. And through Joseph to do great things to, to preserve a people like he did. He's the stone of Israel, and his purposes cannot be thwarted. He's almighty. He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Israel. He's the stone of Israel. He's the almighty one. And only after detailing what had been fulfilled through Joseph does Jacob begin to look forward to the blessings that are in Joseph's future in Canaan, blessings of fertility and success through Ephraim and Manasseh. But these blessings will not include Joseph being preeminent among his brothers. Because it is not through Joseph that God's Messiah will come. God's Messiah will come through Judah. Historically, Judah was a picture of Christ in saving the world. Joseph was a picture of Christ in saving the world physically, but in a very real and humble sense. Jacob, and now Joseph with Jacob, passed the baton in a certain sense to Judah for God's greater purposes to be fulfilled in and through him. So with Joseph, we have an historical blessing. And as he hands the baton to Judah, we see not another historic blessing, but rather a prophetic blessing that is beyond description. In this prophetic blessing, Judah is portrayed in verse 8 as a victorious conqueror with his hand on the neck of his enemies and on the enemies of on our enemies too brothers and sisters Jacob prophesies to Judah not to Joseph saying your brothers will praise you and they will bow down to you even Joseph will bow down to this one and that's a little different than Joseph's dreams where his brothers, all his brothers would bow down to him but they would, not, they would not praise him. In the short view, all Israel bowed down to Judah's descendant, King David, didn't they? And you and I, on this side of the cross, with the completed scriptures in hand, 
know who this is ultimately referring to, Judah's greater son, David's greater son, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Children, the animal used for Judah is the lion. I know you've all seen a lion at least at the zoo. And this is the animal that Judah uses, or that uh, Jacob uses for Judah. You know, the lion is the king of the jungle. He's so kingly and he's so majestic. And Jacob pictures Judah like a lion's cub. Then he crouches as a full-grown lion, and then as one who fights like a lioness. For example, when her cubs are attacked. That's Judah. Who dares to arouse Judah? He's pictured as the lion of Judah here because it is through him that the true lion of Judah will come. He's the one we read about in Revelation chapter 5. You know, the whole story that we've been considering for months now isn't really about Joseph. It's about Jesus. He is the only one worthy to break the scroll because he's the only one who is able to fulfill God's covenant promises. And then these words are heard. Weep no more, John. Weep no more because the Lion of Judah has conquered. And then John saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain and who is alive evermore, Revelation 1.18. And then there's a falling down before this one that you see in the rest of this chapter and this recurring theme. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And I meant to put the whole thing in there, and so I am going to take the time to read it. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. No wonder. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. No wonder God gets all the glory. In his blood, he ransomed a people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, an undeserving people, deserving it no more than anyone else, for all have sinned against a holy God. He alone is worthy. He alone is to be praised. 
He lived a sinless life of perfect obedience to God's law, providing us the righteousness that we would need. And by his blood, he ransomed a people for God. To do what? To save the Rubens of this world. That's what? Can you imagine? And the Simeons and the Levites and the Judas and the Josephs and you and me through faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, God's Lamb, our King, our Savior. Jacob, of course, didn't see all this, but he could confidently prophesy that the scepter will not depart from Judah, not Joseph. The scepter will not depart from Judah until tribute comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. We know this one to be the Lord Jesus Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. In the new heaven and on the new earth. And he says about that, we will bind our foal to the vine and our donkey's colt to the choice vine. We have security in the gospel. We have security in the kingdom of God and safety and well-being. There, our garments are washed in wine. It's one thing to wash your clothes in water, but it's really expensive to wash it in the kind of wine that God uses. It will be a place of abundance and riches untold. You know, the first miracle that Jesus did in his earthly ministry was to turn the water into wine at the wedding at Cana. And he didn't just turn the water into wine. I'm certain he made the best wine, and I'm certain I couldn't afford it. He made not only the most expensive and best wine that anyone has ever tasted, I believe, he made an abundance of it. You couldn't, you couldn't get rid of those barrels. They, they, did, they just kept coming. It, it's like the wealth and riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The lion, Jacob says, has eyes darker than wine. His teeth are whiter than milk. Well, he's altogether marvelous. About halfway through these 12 blessings, this old man dying on his deathbed musters this prayer. I wait. Think about his life. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Jacob was saved by faith in the coming Christ, just as we are saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He was looking for that lion. He was looking for a king. He was looking for a conqueror. He was looking for a savior who would take him to a better country, the true Canaan, heaven. Praise God, I wait for your salvation. He says on his deathbed. Are these not glorious words for the children to hear? Praise God. And with this glimpse into this window, 
where we see an historic blessing and the passing on, if you will, of a baton from Jacob specifically, but also Joseph. Praise God that he was not like his brothers, jealous. Praise God that looking through this window, we could see that baton passed into the future blessings of the lion to the lion of Judah, our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, is this your God, the God of Jacob? Is his son your savior? Are you trusting him by faith alone, resting in nothing else except his blood and righteousness? And so as we come to the table this morning, the table is all about this bed. This, 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 this nation is all about this table and what came through this nation and particularly Judah. He'd better be a lion for my sin. Honestly, for my sin, he'd better be a lion. And he is a lion. Look to the cross and see a lamb suffering. He's the lion of Judah. He's the conqueror. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for helping us little by little to understand the wonderful covenant of grace, the story of redemption that ties together from beginning to end. And thank you, Lord, especially for the gospel of Jesus Christ that is so pictured here and then is so shown to us through this prophecy to Judah. And we see, Lord, all the way to the cross, all the way to the empty tomb, all the way to the consummation of all things, all the way to the new heaven and the new earth where he will reign forever and ever and ever. What a king, what a God, what a story, and we thank you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's all turn in our hymnal to number 226 and all those who are